0: What did Victor Oladipo do on the court to make such huge strides? How does an NBA trainer approach working with pros? Is it important to vary your basketball training regimen? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring on Friend of the Breakdown, since you've been on before, uh, Micah Lancaster, who is an NBA trainer and a basketball trainer overall. And uh, how else would you like me to describe you, Micah?
1: I think that, I mean, I, I call myself a skill enhancement trainer. It's a little bit different of, a, of an approach of basketball training. So I, I think uh, that's how I would define myself as a basketball skill enhancement
0: trainer. Okay, well, that sounds great. And it, it's safe to say that you've worked with a number of NBA players, uh, right? Right.
1: Yeah, um, over the years, probably have worked with, uh, you know, somewhere between 25 and 30. Um, Could be more. Um, But, yeah, just right around there.
0: Okay. Well, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk to you today was we just did a nice breakdown on Victor Oladipo's 47-point explosion for the Indiana Pacers, and also the surprise of the Pacers overall, that they're winning and he's leading them. So um, I know that you worked with him last summer. And I thought it'd be a great idea to sit down with you and just have a discussion about what were the things that you decided to sit down and attack and led to what is probably putting him in the lead for the Most Improved Player Award.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Victor was was extremely fun to work with this summer. And and actually, one thing I would like to start off with is whenever we have these types of conversations, I never want to ever seem like I'm taking any credit for a player's success. Um, so I always want to say that right away. I mean, Victor is doing amazing things, um, and and I don't want to make it seem at all like like I'm stepping in and personally taking credit for any of that. Um, one thing that was really special about Victor, though, um, when, when he contacted me in, I think, I believe it was May, um, is, is he didn't want to be a role player. Um, and, and so his approach was, I want to train um, for... A new opportunity. I want to train to become, um, you know, step out of this box that he's that he was kind of being placed in, and so he wanted to really just open everything up um, and didn't want to approach it with any limitations.
0: Okay, well that's that's a great thing to hear. Now, when he said that, was that after he was traded to Indiana or while he was still with OKC?
1: No, we start we started working out when he was um, still expecting to be in OKC, um, you know, and and. Huh. Uh, you know he was a little bit of a spectator there in terms of of what he would uh, what he obviously what he's doing now um, and just the way you know the style of of play uh, um, you know of Russ out there. I mean he he couldn't quite step into the type of player um, that I think he wanted to to be. Uh, but that that was kind of the approach that we were going to be taking. Is okay, we're going to at least equip you to um, be ready to take on a bigger role and hopefully be able to take. Um, you know, more responsibility in OKC and just open everything up there.
0: Huh, that's interesting. Well, you know, how much preparation do you do, like, when you know you're going to work with Victor Oladipo in the summer and it's, you know, a month or two before, like, what are you doing to prepare that and get ready to know his game?
1: Um, You know, I'm I'm very different. Um, You know, if I go back uh, what, what skill enhancement training is, I probably have to just kind of give you a background so in my opinion there's really two types of training there's game enhancement which is um you know more uh, about managing a player's roles um you know making sure they get so many shots from that spot or making sure they come off a certain amount of screen rolls or pin downs whatever the role you know that player might have it's, it's very uh team oriented and role oriented um and it's its most common form of training um i consider myself a skill enhancement trainer um uh, and really we don't focus at all on any of that so a lot of people you know ask like what'd you do prepare actually talking with Vic before he originally said hey you know like are you gonna watch some film and get ready for this and actually I said no not at all I I I didn't want to watch any um because I didn't want to have any biases uh I was a little familiar with his game because obviously I've seen him but I, I didn't want to um know him too well because my role in my opinion was to be unbiased about who he is, about who what we can become, and just focus on as many skills and traits as possible so he could truly open up his game. So I didn't really do any preparation. I just um, made a, a big, giant list of everything that I wanted to be able to give to him, just like I would any player.
0: Okay, that that is interesting and definitely unique. And I, I should preface this as, as as throwing it out there that you know, Micah, you have you know you are the guy like that has the props, right? Like you're the sort of the prop guy, uses the cones and uses all these other things. And I and I find it funny because sometimes people will say, oh, that's not game-like and whatever. And my take on that has always been, whatever works, man. Like if you get a guy to ball handle better because he's wearing gloves, then great. Like you know, let him use gloves. I don't know, but like you know. Are those the kind of things you were using this summer with Vic?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I would never, ever, ever use the word props. Um,
0: <laughs> that's the kind
1: of word that people, uh, people use when they don't understand it. Um, but um, I get what you mean. I mean, we use training tools. Um, a training tool is a method that's designed to simulate something that's very difficult to simulate. Um, so one of, the re- one of the examples would be, okay, how does a player really feel that he's getting his inside shoulder down as low as he wants it to be? um, some people are really good at just doing it on their own with nothing. But if, if, if they have a hard time feeling that and you have them go down and grab a rip cone off of the floor, now they know for sure that their inside shoulder was exactly as low as needed to be. So a training tool is a simulation. It's, um, it's an artificial way to help players feel the real thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Almost everything we did, um, because we were trying to increase his overall athletic traits and characteristics, almost everything we did was using training tools to simulate something, whether or not it's finishing um, simulations or body position simulations or athletic simulations. Everything was was using the tool. Um, I would say about 75% of what we did.
0: Okay. And, and by the way, uh, I had a great explanation for it. And I really feel like it's important because, again, you get a lot of guys out here who are traditionalists or whatever they would do. And they just simply won't even take 30 seconds to think about, you know, those things. Uh, there's improvement by Victor Lodipo across the entire board. I don't think there's anything you can look at where he hasn't improved and usually significantly in every category. Uh, let's start off with a thing that I do a lot of focus on, which is shooting. Uh, last year, he shot a career-high 36.1% from three on five a game, uh, which was, you know, is about average. This year, he's shooting over six a game, and he's at 44%. Please, give us some insight into what you guys did together to help him find uh, more accuracy.
1: All right, well, I'm going to kind of give you a, a deep answer. Um, and, and uh, you know, and he's shooting, shooting the ball extremely well, um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, some of of what we did and some of what he did with David Alexander and for his body and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, he's just in in great shape, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, But I think the traditional way, if we're talking about traditionalists, is usually people try to look for, okay, here's one thing you can do to get this one result. Um, And I think that's just kind of an outdated uh, transactional look at basketball training. So, you know, kind of in a roundabout way. If you can identify 30 to 40 different traits or skills that you want to be able to give a player um, and they get good at those 30 or 40 things, it lends itself into making that one thing better. Um, and so when it comes to shooting, what, really what we wanted to focus on was his feet, um, making sure that he was comfortable, not so not as stagnant as as he was before, that he had more of a rhythm off of the floor, that his feet were leaving the ground quicker. Um, I wanted to uh, really help him connect uh, his core to his shot and and really improve the timing uh, of his release and there's a lot of different ways uh, that we went about doing that it, it's hard to to say this is the one thing that did it because it wasn't one thing it was an accumulation of, of a lot of different approaches and really him just getting an overall comfort and rhythm to his shot uh, if I could point at Probably the one thing that we talked about the most that I think has that he's really just done a lot better is just his overall timing. Um, You know, we always teach that by the time you get the ball to your lift point, which would be, you know, the the, the area around typically around a guy's face or above their head or whatever it might be that the ball goes to before they get through to their release. That's what we call their lift point. So by the time that a player gets to their lift point, we typically want to see their legs um, reach an extended state. You know, we don't want them in their lift point while their knees are still bent, Um, you know, because it it interrupts and disturbs the overall flow of their shot. And so there was times, um, I think, in the past when uh, when he would find himself shooting in that type of timing. And so we really wanted to just speed up the overall process of the timing and make sure that we were consistent with that timing. and, And it really helped, I think, engage his legs and his core into his shot for a little bit better range.
0: Let me ask you something. Have you ever tried online dating? Chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that don't turn into dates. Of course, their picture says a thousand words, but what if those words aren't compatible with you? With all the crazy dating websites out there, how do you choose one that really works for you? The answer is eHarmony. I just went to a wedding between two people that met on eHarmony. And it was an incredible bastion of love and respect and a strong foundation built on a shared compatibility that eHarmony helped them find. They use years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. This isn't a shallow hookup site, my friends. This is a site that has made over a million couples very happy and they can help you too. Right now, you can get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription. Just enter my code COACH at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter my code COACH at checkout. Uh, you know, I'm really glad that you talked about rhythm because I think that that's the most important thing that anything, uh, that when you're talking about shooting, that's what you need. Like, I, I've gotten away from, you know, elbow placement and wrist bend you know, all these different things mechanically because I discovered that obviously everyone's different, but it's the rhythm, which I also think that, let me, let me see what you think about this. People always talk about confidence, Right, and they talk about oh, you got to have confidence to shoot. And I think you can fake confidence. That doesn't really mean anything to me. I think that what they're really saying is rhythm. I think that rhythm equals confidence mm-hmm. when you're talking about a shot. What do you think about that?
1: No, I, I think I think people have a hard time explaining you know what, what confidence is. Um, like you said, I, I, there, there's if a if a person hesitates or pauses during a shot, you know that that's a lack of rhythm, and um, you know it's a lack of comfort. I always talk about comfort, um, and I think we're, we're saying the same thing in a different way. If I took the 10 best shooters in the world and I put them over on the left and I took 10 really bad shooters and put them over to the right, I could ask the top 10 shooters a lot of different things. And they disagree on elbow placement and all this other different stuff, but they'd all say they're comfortable. The people on the right would also have the same disagreements about how to shoot, but they would probably say they lack comfort in, in some way. Um, and, and so we really just want to make sure that a player is fully comfortable. Okay, so um, if you're not fully comfortable with where your elbow is, then then that's when we need to find what's going to be comfortable for you. If you're not comfortable with how you're holding the ball, we got to make sure you're comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with your jump, then we need to get comfortable with it. So it, it's really searching for comfort. And I think that's the best way to describe, I think, what I like about seeing Vic now is he's just so comfortable. There's no doubts or hesitations because he is in a rhythm. Um, and, uh, and, and so there, there's nothing that feels off, you know, sure. and that's when you can really, you know, I think shoot more consistently.
0: Okay. So when you talked about, uh, the rhythm, and timing of, of, Victor's shot, uh, you know, back in the day when we would teach shooting, it would almost be like a lever as your arms would go up, your knees would bend down. And you could get that freeze frame <laughs> that you're talking about where the ball is yeah. in your set point or uh, I forgot what you call it, at what point? Yeah, lift point. The lift, lift point, point yep. while your knees are completely bent at the bottom of the bend, right? And, although and, and now what we know is you want to do that bend earlier so that your, everything's on the way up. So I think that's what you're talking about. Did you see that? Was that a consistent issue where he was bending his knees, I guess, sort of too early in the process and that was interrupting the rhythm?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that it just wasn't um, consistent and it, it's... You know, it's funny, I, even NBA players, most of what they've been taught growing up was always, okay, where's your elbow? Um, do you have a gap um, where you can stick a finger underneath between the ball <laughs> and the palm? Which, well, okay. It's a complete myth. No one actually has that anyway. Um, Thank you. You know, and, uh, and so, that, but even if, even if a player um, doesn't have that mythical gap, they usually will still tell you that they do because they've been taught it. Um, and so no one really teaches players timing, you know, when should the, when do your legs extend? When do you move the ball? And so timing, I think is the most important, um, issue of shooting that no one ever teaches. Um, and so just by improving the player's timing, you can make a world of difference and you don't usually have to tinker with, with their form. I don't think Vic really changed his shot. Um, he just increased the, the efficiency of his timing and improved his range um and and uh you know I think one thing that we really did that that's possibly you know giving them a little bit more of an advantage as well is we just shot the ball in as many different ways as possible, um in many different footworks as possible. So footwork is never an interference to a shot.
0: Okay. You know,
1: a lot a lot of times people try to do perfect reps. Um try to get your feet perfect every time. You know, some people say you should have ten toes to the basket, other people say you should turn I say you should have everything. Um, I I want you to be so good with your feet that your feet can do anything you want them to do, and you can still shoot the ball the same. So we do a lot of imperfect shooting. Um, Can you be comfortable shooting the ball imperfectly? And and I think that's more game-like. The game is
0: imperfect. In, uh, by the way, there are so many great quotes in this. I can't wait to put them up on Twitter as I link to this podcast because they're great. Uh, you know, If you watch Kyrie, by the way, uh, do that, you, his pregame routine is all about every every way of twisting your feet to shoot a three you can imagine. And I have to imagine that's probably the same kind of thing you were doing, right, is having your feet in the weirdest positions and your body turned as you can find, find the alignment in, you know as quickly as you can.
1: Yeah, you, you want him to be able to be. You might have done a spin move. And um, your feet aren't right where you normally would have done it, but you still are in a moment where you need to shoot the ball. Um, a lot of players will pass up those shots because they always do perfect reps. Um, you know, in, in, many, in many ways, it's not about um, your ability to make shots as much as your ability to feel comfortable taking shots. Um, and so if you can get to a spot that you, on the floor you wanted to be, it shouldn't matter if everything turned out exactly as you want it to be, if you've worked on imperfect reps, you'll still be able to shoot it and feel great shooting it. So, um, you know, and, and so it, it's really about just mixing it up as much as possible when it comes to shooting. I think for guys like this that, um, that they're just comfortable in anything. Um, and and uh, like I said, the, the key word always goes back to comfort.
0: We've reached a time of the show where when we're talking about comfort – we got to talk about his time in OKC a little bit because <laughs> when when I did the video, of course, half the comments are like, yeah, we love you from Indiana and all that kind of stuff. This is great to see the development. And the other half, obviously, the elephant in the room is that, you know, they want to basically shit on Russell Westbrook and say that it was his fault that that Victor Oladipo couldn't get to where he was or is holding him back. And I'm wondering if you can give us insight, having worked with Vic and probably probably talked to him about it a little bit, uh, what, 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 who is right in this argument?
1: Well, first off, I think it's a shame that people want to blame Russ um, for, for that for that specific reason, and I also think it's a shame just because it it, uh, it discredits Vic for the work he did this off season. Um, I think we live in a society that wants to think people are born this way. Um, they, they want to find the naturals, the people who would have made it no matter what happened. Um, and and most of the time around these guys, when you call them naturals, it really piss them off. Uh Um, because you're, you're just discrediting everything they've worked for. You know, if you look at what Vic did with DBC this summer and how he changed his body, um, with David Alexander in Miami, that's a lot of work. If you look at the type of stuff that we did this summer and all the weeks that we spent with them, that's a lot of work. And so, um, and Vic worked differently this summer and harder than I think he ever has. Um, and so I, I think it's a shame to, to, to point it all at, at Russ. Would he have had um, the type of freedom in, in OKC to do what he's doing now if he was still there? No, I mean, he wouldn't have had the same the same results. But our goal initially while we were in OKC was to get him this same skill sets and the same comfort level where he could have opened it up more and maybe um, – he would have been trusted to do more in their system. And so it's, it's hard to, to look back at it and really predict what would have happened. But, um, you know, let's not take away from the work he put in and, and uh, how much he dedicated himself to his body this summer.
0: It's that time of the year again, you know, where you have to buy your family and friends gifts. And I know how impossible it could feel to find the right present, especially if you're looking for something both thoughtful and practical. Well, look no further, because Harry's Razors offers precisely what you're looking for this holiday season. Over 3 million guys have switched to Harry's, primarily because of their high-quality precision blades, but also because they come in different colors, custom gift sets that fit specific needs, and a personal engraving option. This holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited-edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts. Their gift sets were built with your guy in mind, so you'll know he'll love them. Sets come with German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shave gel that smells amazing, special limited-edition winter chrome and emerald green handles, and personalize it with some engraving. No matter what you're looking for, Harry's has you covered. Sets come ready-to-gift in beautifully designed gift boxes. Gift sets start at just 10 bucks. They make great stocking stuffers and even get something for yourself with Harry's. As a special offer for fans, we partner with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com coachnick. This offer is only available for the holidays. So this holiday, give Harry's and give Handsome. Shipping cutoffs end this week, so act now to get your gifts delivered in time. To get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com slash coachnick right now. That's harrys.com slash coachnick. And I also think the key is, I mean, he, he did have a good year, right? He, he averaged 16 a game. He shot, you know, 36% from three, which is fine. I know he didn't have a great playoff series, but um, but he, he did well. And I think that, the th- you know, the difference now, if you look at it, he, he took 14 shots a game last year, and he's taking 18 now. So that, w- you know, he probably doesn't ever get a bump like that playing in OKC Regardless, Like, that's just a fact, right? Like, he's just not going to get any more shots than he was probably getting. So the scoring output, right, just probably wouldn't have happened necessarily. Now, I guess in theory what you could argue is that he could have been more efficient in those shots instead of 44% of field goal, maybe getting up to 48 where he is now, um, but still not getting to where he's scoring. So I think that's one thing I want to say in defense of Russ is just the way it's it's structured there. Um, but do you think that there was any issue because of that that the comfort was going to be impossible to achieve uh, in in that setting?
1: Not, I mean, impossible to achieve um, in doing what he's doing now, obviously. Um, he wouldn't have been able to do what he's doing now in that system with Russ. Um, you know, and when when you're playing with a ball-dominant player, you have to do a lot more standing around and waiting. And, and And he was actually, I think, accused, I think, if I look back in the media during the playoffs, of being – Someone who just sat back and watched Russ work—that um, never was really the case. It's just kind of what you have to do when you're waiting for your opportunity to catch and do something with it. So it—it it can be hard to get comfortable when you're when you're playing with someone who has the ball in their hands that much and that often. I think he broke records and usage rates and, and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. So, you know, it could be that can definitely be a hard thing to get over uh, and just you know find that comfort level. Um, but I mean. I do think that we would have seen a, a greater output in a, in a much different version of Vic with OKC this year if he had gotten the chance um, at that location. But I, I'm certainly very happy for him that he got he got to go back to Indiana. Um, such a perfect fit for him, obviously, where he played college ball and, and always felt like home to him. And, um, and, and then he got the keys to the car. Um, and – you couldn't have picked a better summer for him to be able to be handed those keys. I mean, a better year after the summer for him to be able to, hand, to get those keys because he was prepared he was
0: ready. Was there anything in particular that you started working on with him in the summer that he just struggled with mightily and took him a lot longer than anything else to t- develop?
1: Um, You know, with, with our type of training and our style of training, um, there there's a lot of those because what we try to do is um, – we're probing for weaknesses. Um, and, and so that's what I always tell, tell a guy when we work out, we're going to find out how bad at basketball you are today. Um, same thing we would do with an NBA player this is exactly what we do with the kid. We're going to find a weakness. We're going to live in that weakness. And then we're going to, we're going to figure out a way to overcome it. Um, and so, yeah, there there was a, a lot of them, um, things that we did footwork wise that, that took him a while to get, there was, um, get low um you know the type of load that we are we were training him to do that was uncomfortable for him being able to stop um and being the like one one thing that we did that took him a little bit of time was um being able to to do a drag stop which is if i'm driving right i'm going to plant my right foot letting my left foot drag behind me and we want your knee to get towards the floor so we'll put a medicine ball on the floor and we want your left knee to touch the medicine ball um, so you know that you're getting to the, that type of low that we want you to in order to stop. Those types of things were difficult um, for him. He would have to stutter his feet in order to slow down before he could stop. And we wanted an immediate full speed, 100 to zero stop. And so there, there's there's a, a list of things that we could go through that took him some time to get. But what the, the awesome thing about Vic is um, he just works so hard and is so humble through that process that um, he'll push through that 30 minutes and then, then it will click and he'll have it where a lot of guys have too much ego for that. All right. uh, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm looking bad. Maybe I don't really need this in my game. You know, let's move on. Um, where Vic doesn't have any of that. So um, every day we tried to confront a new weakness. What What's so amazing about him is, and his character is that um, he loved finding a new one and, and, uh, and, and just went at it till he got it. And so that was a, an everyday thing. And he was never in a bad mood doing it, which was a, a pretty cool thing. Um, uh, made him an awesome person to work with.
0: You know, what's interesting about that description of the footwork you were working with him on is I just released, this is like, a, I'm just throwing out uh, uh, unadulterated um, uh, shout outs for my videos, but I just did a video uh, on on the step back. Who's got the nastiest step back in the NBA? And we did Kemba and and uh, and uh, Kyrie. And what I showed without before I even talking to you is how they do that. I, I called it a hockey stop, right? Where you slam the, the first, the, your first foot is forward and you're like dragging the left foot behind you almost like you're yep. screeching on it on the ice um should we expect to see uh some serious nasty step backs from victor Oladipo in and going forward
1: um yeah and uh sometime you and i should talk about terminology because some of the things you're calling step backs we would call different things oh. uh, i think it'd be a really cool study um to actually um talk about all the different footworks that there actually are that all get kind of thrown into one bucket um and so you know there's a lot of different different styles and types so one thing that we try to do a lot is is we name every different set of footwork so we have a language for for basketball skill development um so i'd love to do that with you sometime as a sidetrack <laughs> um, sure. but i think you're going to see a lot of um vic this season of his ability to create space um for how quickly he can stop um and 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 then from that stop he can create an immediate um, reaction of creating further space from it. So if you can stop and the other player doesn't you've already created separation. But if you can create if you can stop and they run past and then you create further space now you have um, obviously maximum re, um, separation. And so you know I, I think you're going to see a lot of of as the season goes on of him being more and more comfortable using all the footwork that he has to open up separation for himself and. Um, create a lot more opportunities.
0: So do you think this is the mirage what the, the, the Pacers are doing right now and what Victor is doing or is it they're going to sustain this and make the playoffs and, and be the, the biggest surprise of the NBA this year?
1: Um, you know I, I I I love the way they're they're playing right now um, you know I think if, if Miles didn't get hurt and then have to come back in because that kind of seemed to throw off their chemistry a little bit for maybe a, a four or five game stretch as they kind of Redid their rotation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that they, they're they would be You know much much better in the standings right now even I mean they, wow. they just kind of um, You know if you look at that, that's really what happened. They started off the season really strong um, uh, I don't know if he got I don't know if he start no he did he didn't start the season with them. right They inserted him back in
0: well. He, he missed um, games two through eight.
1: Yes, two and so in that time frame um, They were playing great. Yeah, um you know, and, and then when he was inserted back into, they had to refine themselves and they went through a little bit of a, of a losing streak. I don't think that losing streak ever would have happened. Now they're better with him obviously in the lineup. Um, but their, but their chemistry had to re kind of refine. I think we're going to see this team do a lot this season. Um, because their, their chemistry is so good. And I, I think we, we're only seeing the beginning of Vic, um, you know, from, from the start of this year, uh, you know, my my job was going around telling everyone that Victor is going to be an All Star this year um, because I I could see it. I mean, he was just getting that good, um, and so I mean, a lot of people doubted doubted that statement. Um, and and I think the All Star Vic is is someone we're going to get used to. I think um, he's just going to keep keep growing because he's just that type of person, um, and and he's just kind of reaching. Uh, his ability to really use his athleticism the way he can and, and really tighten everything up. But um, it's going to be fun to watch.
0: Sure. And without question, uh, I mean, all-star, I, I mentioned that the other day on Twitter. Um, it, also in the context of another all-star leaving OKC, which could be another discussion that maybe you or somebody and I can have about uh, what that means with Presti and, and the culture there. But nonetheless, uh, Mike, I can't thank you enough for coming on and breaking this stuff down. I mean, I think – I know we focus on Victor Oladipo, but there's no question that what you're talking about is the kind of stuff that every player deals with or needs to work on or has to master. And so I, I just – I love the fascinating stuff you're talking about. I don't think we talk about it enough.
1: Yeah, um, and if I was to close on it on one thing, I don't know if this is our closing time, but – um, I think players need to understand that there are those two different types of training. And uh, I think the shame is, is if someone, let's say someone only trains my way, the skill enhancement way, they're going to be missing the types of shots and reps and the other things that they need to have in their game. If they only do the game enhancement training, when the types of stuff that they do with their coaches and work on their roles in their system, then they're going to be missing the key pieces of their skills. So when players do both, Um, and they really focus on on both sides of the spectrum there, that's when we see uh, a lot of great results. If coaches could stop fighting um, about what is the right and the wrong way to train and players could actually just do both ways, we'd see such a better game. Um, And so that's, that's my goal is is getting people on the same page, understanding, look, when you see someone using training tools, it's not the only way to train. It's a way to train and, you can do that along with the the puristic simplistic way of getting your reps in fact i would suggest people do both of them um, to get the best results
0: for sure you know it's funny we really quickly we talk about you know even like people doing yoga a lot now and a lot of what yoga is talking about is keeping your uh, your heart open right and having your shoulder blades on your back and having good posture which also leads to good defensive playing as well but i i feel like Any typical coach, when they fire up like a video of another coach's, you know, uh, insights into the game, they already come at it looking out of the side of their eye a little bit. Like, uh, what does this guy know that I don't know already? And I think that's what's a little bit frustrating. And It might be just a normal reaction. I'm a coach. I know what I'm talking about. What's this guy going to have to offer me? And I almost feel like that's the hurdle that we need to kind of get over in the beginning because I, I can't get enough. I love looking at anybody or talking to anybody's stuff to hear about something that might be provocative. After the fact, maybe I'm like, eh, I don't like that so much or I, I like that. But, but in the beginning, I think that there's this natural tendency. And it might just be like human nature to simply, you know, not trust what they're seeing if they perceive themselves as being, you know, an expert in that field too. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, this is such a broad field. I always say it this way um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, um, uh, cause that's not what this is. It's just a good example. If you take coach K and, and I was going to have a debate with coach K on the X's and O's of basketball, he would wipe the floor with me. That's not the world that I live in. Um, at the same time, though, if I could go on a debate with coach K on skill enhancement training and developing players, I would have the same effect on my side. So, I mean, it, We don't have to be experts of everything in order to be really good at at, at what you specifically do. I think there's just a lot of people who think that everyone needs to wear all the hats. Um, There's nothing wrong with with being just great at what you do and and having other people that do the other jobs. Um, And and so that's what we, I think, have to understand a a lot of. I think a lot of players um, in different communities look to coaches to develop them. Um, and a coach is going to be really good at teaching you how to play, but not necessarily giving you the skills needed to do those things. And so there just needs to be a little bit. We need to open up our minds a little bit, um, stop feeling like everyone's a threat and, uh, and letting more people contribute to players. If you look at Vic, um, and there is an article that just came out, Kevin O'Connor with the ringer, um, just wrote one and and talked about uh, Actually, your timing is great. Just came out today. Um I mean, look, at Vic didn't just work with us at Impossible. He also worked with David Alexander, and he worked with, with another training organization as well. That's good. Um, right. And so there's more than one person involved in that. There's more than one voice. Um, and Vic can pick and choose what he likes to use and what he
0: doesn't. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to just come out here and pick and shoes that you came coming on the show. It was a great uh, idea. And thanks so much for breaking this down for us. Uh, you know, you want to give a like a one sentence or two sentence description of I'm Possible and what's going on over there?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm Possible Training is a, a trainer certification organization. We have over 300 certified trainers at I'm Possible. Um, and we're also a trainer university. So, um, I'm based at uh, our world headquarters here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I'm from. I just moved back here last year, and so what I do is, uh, you know, players um, travel from around the world to for training, um, stay in our guest house, and, and go through anything from a a weekend of training to a month of training, um, and then also trainers traveling from different parts of the world um, to learn our system and and to to continue learning, um, you know, the skill development industry. So. Um, yeah impossible training is a, is a basketball educational system for trainers and players um, and uh, of course we, we train uh, camps and we do all that type of stuff too awesome well thank you
0: so much for coming on the show Micah it was really insightful really great stuff and don't forget sports fans at B-Ball Breakdown not a channel we're a conversation you in are you in Micah? I'm in